The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. Good morning, and you will hear my interview with Rabbi Avidan Friedman, who is the co-founder and director of Yanshuf which is an organization dedicated to stopping Israeli arms sales to human rights violators. Rabbi Avidan Friedman, who is an educator uh, at the Shalom Hartman Institute's high school and post-high school programs, is the co-founder and director of Yanshuf, an organization dedicated to stopping Israeli arms sales to human rights violators. Good morning, Rabbi Friedman. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm great. It's an honor to be here. Honor is all mine. Lots been happening. Let's let's briefly just talk about what's happening in Israel with the judicial overhaul um, that passed. But I believe that uh, that the public is still trying to remedy that and perhaps overturn it. Uh, what's your perspective on what's happening? A lot is happening. I'm, I've been very involved, trying to be as as involved as I can in in it. Um, one piece of the judicial reform has passed. the The first law of what was what started off as four or five major pieces, which together was the judicial reform, passed. Um, it's it's significant, but it's also the part that that was passed is also being um, appealed in a number of, of uh, Supreme Court cases that are going to be judged in September. And and although the, um, the, the Knesset, the Israeli um, legislature is on, is on summer break now, uh, and so they won't be passing any more laws right now, the public is, is absolutely still protesting and still um, raising its voice to both to protest what already passed and, and also what will what the government intends to pass in the future and and also different decisions that are that are being made all the time and and different ways that we're seeing Israeli society changing um, the face of Israeli society changing in in ways that we're not happy with all the time yeah uh, it's happening throughout the world this sort of uh I don't know if it's a, if it's appropriate for Israel. It certainly is for the U.S. and other parts of the world. We've seen this in Italy and such. This sort of a right wing push of authoritarian rule. I feel like um, it's like the last push to stop progress from happening. Uh, let me ask you this because I'm curious. Uh, in in Israel, as a rabbi, uh, is there any law, or at least an, or maybe even an unwritten rule? of how much um, a clergy can sort of be, you know, advocates and activists and uh, talk about politics and and such? Uh, It's an interesting question. There's no, um, there's no rule for clergy per se, clergy that is, that is filling a a role, let's say within that, within a governmental position, rabbis that are serving as community rabbis, 
which is here in Israel, a government, you know, uh, an official government position, essentially, which is under the the Ministry of Religion, um, technically, actually are, um, do have certain limitations, although that's something that is not really, you know, it's maybe observed in the breach, if at all, there have been many, many examples of, of rabbis who have made many political statements, and sometimes people make some noise about it. I'm actually... Uh, professionally, I'm a teacher, Correct. and so there's um, there is discussion as far as teachers how much you're able to you know convey your own views, both pedagogically and and actually I saw that uh, that right now there's a new statement that came out from the from the education ministry talking about how teachers should not share their personal views about specifically about the judicial reform with their students when leading discussions about it, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there have been, and there have been teachers actually who have this past year who've gotten in trouble in their schools for, for sharing their opinions. And, um, and there have been teachers who have lost, lost their, their jobs in, in my own school. As of last year, um, we had, we had the backing of our principal to um, to speak about judicial reform, speak about what's going on, and and within that to also express our own opinions. So it, it was something that I I did express, although it's a, it's a tricky thing as an educator. Yeah, I bet. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK ninety point seven FM. I am your host Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Rabbi Avidan Friedman. Uh, who is an educator and also the co-founder and director of Yanshuf, uh, which is an organization dedicated to stopping Israeli arms sales to human rights violators. Uh, we've been uh, discussing his activism in trying to stop the, the state of Israel from selling uh, weapons to rogue nations and dictators such as uh, Azerbaijan, um, who is now committing genocide against the Armenians of the Republic of Artsakh, formerly known as Nagorno-Karabakh, um, as well as other topics. Uh, and uh, the situation in Israel itself, the the, uh, the political upheaval that's happening right now. So uh, this is my interview with Rabbi Avidan Friedman. In, in the U.S., uh, a lot of uh, religious organizations and uh, clergy uh, won't at all say anything uh, f- not to risk their 501c nonprofit status of their, you know, uh, house right. of worship. Um, right. Which always reminds right. me of uh, Elie Wiesel's uh, famous quote that when, and I'm paraphrasing and I'm bastardizing it, but it's a beautiful quote about how when oppression is happening, when someone is being victimized, we must speak, we must take sides. And if you're if you claim to be neutral, you're really taking the side of the oppressor. So I, I've, I've never understood this stance in the U.S. of um, houses of worship not having any opinion uh, when when uh, human rights violations are happening. You are, you know, you as you said, you're an educator, but you also um, uh, you're the director and the co-founder of, and I apologize if I mispronounce this, of uh, Jan Schuf. Yeah, you actually pronounced that perfectly, Vic. Okay. It's an organization that's dedicated to uh, stopping Israeli arms sales 
to human rights violators, you know, being different regimes and nations and such. Uh, and you've been vocal about this. Uh, first of all, thank you for <laughs> the poignant article you wrote talking about or bringing light to uh, Israel's support of the state of Azerbaijan, a nation that's uh, sort of on this genocidal path, uh, especially in the last three years. And we're seeing that uh, come out more and more in the press just in the last four or five days. Um, an article that we should let our uh, listeners know is published in the Times of Ar- uh, Times of Israel, and it will soon be published in the Armenian Mirror Spectator. So thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it, it was a piece that really it came from the heart and came from a, a feeling, as as you said, you know, the Ali Wiesel quote, uh, a, a sense of of moral obligation to speak out, and honestly, honestly, a sense of of shame to to no small extent, as far as where Israel has situated itself in many ways and for a long time vis-a-vis the Armenian community. Yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm blunt. That's what my show is called that. <laughs> for years, uh, I was very critical of the U.S. not recognizing the Armenian genocide, which it finally did in, in 2021 after 106 years. Uh, UK is yet to do it and some other nations. And Israel has also been one of the nations that hasn't recognized genocide, but it feels a little different with Israel because I think um, as an Armenian, I feel a kinship with with Israelis. We've sort of have a lot in common uh, going back millennia. Uh, certainly 20th century saw uh, the Holocaust happen. Um, before that was the Armenian genocide. And, you know, we are spread throughout the world in diaspora uh, communities. So it was a little difficult, but to, to really sort of not uh, criticize Israel. And I used to just think, you know what, Israel will come around, Israel will come around, you know, there are a lot of intellectuals, you know, uh, Israel Charney is talking about it, everyone's talking about it. And it was also heartbreaking that, uh, you know, every time Erdogan would go in one of his rants and and spew anti-Semitic garbage, Armenian genocide resolution was brought up to the Knesset to sort of tame him, and then it would just go away. And this happened, but then you know, and this would happen every few years. But then with the, with this uh, invasion of Artsakh, I refuse to call it a conflict or even a war because it was really a genocidal invasion and ethnic cleansing. It, it just became, I think, went to a different level. So seeing and reading people like you talking about it, bringing attention to it. Uh, I've interviewed um, Knesset member Ofer Kassif. Uh, and others who who are trying to do this, trying to say, hey, you know, be careful about Azerbaijan. You know, this is, you know, finally, finally, so many different uh, organizations and media organizations that were for three years so-called neutral are finally, they can't deny it. Even AP is calling it genocide. I'll just stop now and let you sort of talk about that. Yeah, first of all, I'll mention, you know, Israel Charney is... Uh... Is a wonderful human being. He's actually on the uh, on the public advisory board of Yanshuf. Um, I've had the privilege of meeting him and and speaking with him. I mean, he is one of the the founders of genocide studies. He's one of the founders, really, of the field of genocide studies as an academic field, and he has always been a very very powerful proponent 
of the idea that that memory of of the Holocaust, you no know, Jewish memory of the Holocaust, cannot be uh, a statement of never again only for us. And the meaning of the Holocaust me- needs to be never again for for all people. And without that, the it really loses its its meaning. And and he has been a very very strong proponent of uh, and and a really a warrior for Israel trying to recognize the Armenian genocide and and going back. I mean, he just published recently published a book about his his efforts to get Israel to recognize it. And and he he tells of how even to organize a conference here in Israel uh, on the topic was a was a big fight. And unfortunately, I, I think it's. Um, it's a it's a, a very central maybe it's even in some ways it's the central challenge for us in in Israel it, it, it touches on you know is Israel about fundamentally is it just about something that's going to protect the Jewish people and you know we've been a uh, a, a persecuted people and and uh, people that has suffered so much as you said diaspora etc and so is Israel there? to ensure our survival and therefore everything that we're going to do to ensure that survival is okay or does Israel have a a mission in the world and is Israel's survival also about fighting for peace and for the survival of other peoples and so that's the the conflict in some ways it's a very it's uh it's a very standard tension that every nation now, every nation needs to balance on the one hand its own interests and its own survival and on the other hand it needs to it needs to stand for you know in theory maybe stand for some kind of a of moral values and in Israel it's a hard question because Israel really is a tiny nation we do have very very real threats and and I recognize that I don't deny any of that and in, in you know in the Anshuf also I'll say it's not an organization that is, pacifistic in the in the sense that we're against every kind of arms sales uh, and every kind of arms. Uh, we're against, as you said, selling arms specifically to regimes that misuse them. I'm actually in favor in the world we live in of selling arms to to nations that would use them legitimately to defend themselves. Um, so so we recognize on the one hand this the legitimate security needs, but on the other hand, we're very, very adamant in saying that we can't we can't sacrifice our moral fiber um, and our moral values for um, for those security needs. In some ways, um, it's a little bit complicated, maybe to unpack it. But in some ways, it even really hits on 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 some of the the conflict around the judicial reform, where a lot of the people who are standing up for liberalism are 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 standing up and saying. You know what, um, Israel. Our Israel stands for something. We believe in something. We believe in a Jewish and democratic state. We're not. It's not just about. We don't care as long as it's Jewish. As long as it protects us, we care about what the fiber and what the state stands for. And in some ways, people are even saying that they are willing to to actually endanger Israel's security. As far as the you know the people who are saying we can't serve in an army that isn't Jewish and democratic together. Makes sense. I lost my my train of thought because I was so into what you were talking about. Um, I'll, I'll just maybe, Vic, add one one sure. more piece, if I may, just to, to bring it back to, to Artsakh. 
and, and I think you know, as you said, there is there is this um, digression, you know, of as I we, it starts with our our unwillingness to recognize the Armenian genocide, and now it's moved, you know, it moved to the willingness out of you know political interest, realpolitik, the willingness to arm Azerbaijan in their you know, genocide in their in their genocidal designs in their war, and really Israel giving giving Azerbaijan the the qualitative edge that that you know I think many people have said really won the you know decided were decisive in in this battle in, in twenty twenty, wow. um, and and now even even more to you know in in the wake of that situation that we in Israel enabled now. Looking at Artsakh and and possibly you know not intervening and not um, and not not intervening in a in, in this genocide murder by by starvation and that's where you know our letter came in to calling on the president and saying you know what if we have a relationship with Azerbaijan and I think the relationship has been you know in many ways born in sin and certainly cultivated by sin but. But if we have this relationship, at least let us use it in, you know, let's leverage that for for this urgent humanitarian need, at least that. Yeah, I appreciate that. That letter was um, very impressive. Um, just going down the list of signatories uh, was a breath of fresh air. I I tell my non-Armenian friends, you know, we Armenians haven't uh, exhaled in almost three years. And especially when we uh, when we read or see and hear our non-Armenian allies do or say something, it, it has like a special impact um, because it's been rare. It's just not been covered. You know, the press has either not covered it or just covered it very um, in a very lazy fashion with lots of bias and propaganda, especially with uh, Azerbaijan's uh uh, you know, caviar diplomacy working very hard throughout the world to do uh, image laundering and and you know setting up their uh, so-called uh, strategic uh, partnerships with media companies and such. So it's been it's been difficult. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK ninety point seven FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami. Community radio is more than just radio, but a station that is committed to the community its experiences, challenges, and accomplishments. We come together to be informed, entertained, and enlightened. What you get on KPFK is greater than what you'll find on social media or streaming services. You value community radio for enhancing your town as a place you love. Now is a good time to support this nonprofit station with a financial contribution. Donations from people like you make this station possible. Please make a pledge, call 818-985-5735, that's 818-985-KPFK, or go online to kpfk.org. Thank you. And you're listening to my interview with Rabbi Avidan Friedman, uh, who is an educator and also the co-founder and director of Yanshuf. Uh, which is an organization dedicated to stopping Israeli arms sales to human rights violators. Uh, we've been uh, discussing his activism 
in trying to stop the the state of Israel from selling uh, weapons to rogue nations and dictators such as uh, Azerbaijan, who is now committing genocide against the Armenians of the Republic of Artsakh, formerly known as Nagorno-Karabakh, as well as other topics. Uh, and uh, the situation in Israel itself, the the uh, the political upheaval that's happening right now. So uh, this is my interview with Rabbi Avidan Friedman. Talking about arms sales, one has to <laughs> drag their own first. I mean, look at the U.S. President Biden did recognize the Armenian genocide in 2021. However, a week later, he and uh, Secretary Blinken decided to uh, lift Section 907 of the Freedom Act and give $100 million to Azerbaijan. <laughs> a nation that does not need money from anyone. And and this money was supposedly for Azerbaijan to uh, to uh, secure its borders from terrorists going in, uh, even though they actually brought in over 2,000 terrorists, ISIS and jihadists from Pakistan and Libya and, and Syria to massacre Armenians and paid them for it. And yet we are paying... <laughs> Azerbaijan supposedly to secure its borders from terrorists. It's just such a convoluted. Um, uh, it's a. It's almost like a farce when you when you think about it of what's happening. And and now we are eight months of blockade has been going on for eight months. And you know, a former international criminal court um, representative recently said, if this continues for another couple of weeks, uh, it'll be the end for 120,000 Armenians in Artsakh. And that's where we are. And that's where we are. We we have a president that hasn't said a word, President Biden, about it. And the most severe thing uh, Secretary Blinken has said is that he has deep concerns. <laughs> We're still the, at deep concerns in three years. Um, there's a double standard, you know, when Ukraine was invaded, and rightfully so, uh, there was a very adequate world reaction, U.S. reaction. But somehow, as a, as a Guardian journalist said, Armenia was not West enough or white enough to get the same kind of um, uh, attention. I want to ask you one last thing before before uh, uh, I let you go, so I'm, I'm sure you need to get back to what you're doing. But how do you feel about the biennial convention of the European rabbis meeting in Azerbaijan in, I believe, November? I hope to to find out ways to 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 intervene and to raise awareness and I don't know probably stopping it might be a a, a little bit too rose colored a dream but at the very least uh, I'm going to be looking for for the people who are there who are going to be able to to raise a voice as you said I think a lot of people just don't know I think a lot of people just don't know I think um, I think they are. Uh, they're fed a lot of propaganda that that Azerbaijan is is uh, is paying, you know, well for, and and maybe there's a I don't know there's a willingness to ignore it, but it's just so uh, it's so cynical, you know, it's such a cynical um, taking advantage of yes of of what religion is, um, you know, and as you said, as far as you know, uh, rabbis maybe feeling uh being being unwilling to to speak out or, or feeling but you know here is here's a situation where we can't let religion just be bought in in that way and and to have 
our moral voice silenced, which is what religious leadership really is is supposed to be about. And be sense. and be a tool for public relations. Absolutely. You know? It's I think um not I don't think. I I have followed this for three years now. I've seen the the propaganda machine of Azerbaijan work every trick, every way. Uh, less than a month ago, they had a media conference, uh, literally 10 minutes from where Armenians are starving. They brought journalists from all over the world and they showed them the magnificent demogra- you know, democratic uh, Azerbaijan and wine and dine and five-star hotels and uh, essentially buying you know, good reviews and, and good reports. There's, there's a lot of this sort of um, PR moves happening uh, and they know what they're doing. But like you, you know, I hope I hope that with people like you, at least those attending the conference will be more aware, have more education and not um, sort of buy into the the lies that they're about to hear, probably. And I don't know, maybe I'm naive, but I feel like the truth will out eventually, you know, but there is a price to be paid for that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Rabbi Avidan Friedman, uh, who is an educator and also the co-founder and director of Yanshuf, uh, which is an organization dedicated to stopping Israeli arms sales to human rights violators. Uh, we've been uh, discussing um, his activism in trying to stop the the state of Israel from selling uh, weapons to rogue nations and dictators such as uh, Azerbaijan, um, who is now committing genocide against the Armenians of the Republic of Artsakh, formerly known as Nagorno-Karabakh, as well as other topics. uh, And uh, the situation in Israel itself, the, the, uh, the political upheaval that's happening right now. So uh, this is my interview with Rabbi Avidan Friedman. Rabbi Friedman, before we go, is there anything I should have asked or anything you'd like to add? What is there, what is there to add? I mean, it's, I'm, I'm really looking at the, the situation with a, a great deal of, uh, of concern. Now, as we started the conversation with the judicial reform, it's, it is very hard, I'll say, personally for me and for a lot of people in Israel to to see beyond the end of our own nose. I mean, people really, you know, I've been out in the streets. I'm, I'm organizing protests every Saturday night. And during the week, I'm often at protests. And, and it's it's very busy. You know, a lot of people are trying to juggle their lives with, with fighting for the state of Israel as they see it. But then, you know, but then, I, I you know, my, my dear friend, Yaron Weiss, who is a an Israeli who's very who's a very strong advocate for for the Armenian community wrote a piece um, that appeared in a in an Israeli newspaper and and I read it and I said oh my God you know okay there's you know there's what's going on here but but look what's going on over there we have to do something so I am hoping and praying that um, we're going to continue raising the voice here and we have plans for. Uh, for organizing a protest and for organizing more activity here in in Jerusalem and in Israel. Now, we know so much about, you know, you mentioned double standard, you mentioned the world being silent. And now if we're in a position somehow to help, how can we, how can we not do that? So, so I hope and I pray and and I'll continue with God's help to work to, to try to raise this voice and to do what we can. 
Thank you. I know uh, not just the people who are listening, but I, everyone appreciates it um, a lot because you're reaching people that perhaps we can't reach, I can't reach. I understand this is really serious for Israel. But Rabbi Friedman, thank you for just everything that you're doing, being on the show. I'd love to chat again soon. Yeah, totally, totally grateful for your time. Thank you so much, Vic. It was a pleasure. Well, that was my interview with uh, Rabbi Avidan Friedman, an interview I'm very grateful for, uh, grateful for Rabbi Friedman's work. Thank you, Rabbi, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. You're listening to KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara County, and streaming across the globe at kpfk.org, Pacifica Radio for all of Southern California and beyond. The Blunt Post with Vic. Steve Pearson is an entertainment industry veteran, a union member, a lifelong public servant, and former community organizer for Swing Left. This is Steve's first campaign for public office, but he's not new to politics. His father was a special counsel to President Lyndon B. Johnson and helped implement the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and great society programs such as Medicare and Medicaid. Steve has been a delegate for the California Democratic Party, and now he is a candidate for the California State Assembly, District 44. Good morning, Steve. Uh, thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm great, Vic. Thank you so much for, for letting me join. Absolutely. You are a, a local. You're, you're living in Valley Village where I live, and yep. uh, you're running for a very important uh, assembly seat, which till now has been the seat for uh, Assemblymember Laura Friedman. But of course, she's running for Congress. So you're one of the candidates that's running for her seat. Let's just start by you sort of telling us why and your background and things like that. <laughs> why would I do this masochistic uh, thing <laughs> of running for, for office? Um, really, the, the, the quick answer to that is because it's just an incredible opportunity to make an impact on folks' lives. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe there is a more impactful body of government right now than the California legislature. So to be able to have my job, you know, be to make people's lives better, to wake up every day and, and work to lift up the folks in, in my community and all over the state of California, you know, sign me up. That, that's why I'm doing it. And, um, you know, my, my background, I, I grew up in D.C. I grew up in a, a political family. Um, my dad was counsel to President Johnson. Um, I thought I would follow in his footsteps. I was a poli-sci major when I first went to school, but uh, actually after leaving school and, and, and dealing with a, uh, an alcohol and, and uh, drug addiction, uh, I was fortunate enough to get sober when I was 19, and I found the film and TV department there at Chapman University, which was you know way more fun than politics, and uh, I ended up having a a uh, nice long career in that industry, owning a sound studio in Hollywood, and working in post-production sound, working as an actor, working as a musician, touring with the band all over the country, all kinds of great stuff. And, um, you know, my wife is an actor. We're both 30-year SAG-AFTRA members. Uh, and, um, you know, when Trump was elected, 
I just, uh, I felt like I'd had blinders on. I felt like I had to make up for lost time and I just wanted to turn my life upside down. And because I owned my business, I was, uh, I had the privilege to neglect that business and start organizing. Um, and that's what I did. I became a community organizer. I worked with a, a national organization called Swing Left to galvanize volunteers all over the country to make an impact in swing, uh, swing states and swing elections. And um, I've just been looking at where can I be of service? Where can I make the, the greatest impact? And, uh, and like I said at the start, I don't think there's a, a place where you can make a bi- a bigger impact than the assembly and the Senate and the California legislature. So um, that's why I'm doing it. My friend, Laura Friedman, as you said, is running for Congress and it opened up an opportunity to serve my home. Well, makes sense. Well said. So if you're just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with candidate for California State Assembly, District 44, uh, Steve Pearson. So let me ask you this, as we are and as we're speaking today, uh, what do you think are some of the the biggest challenges facing your district, California as a whole, or just greater LA? Uh, Great question. Um, There's a lot. You know, I love Los Angeles. I love the diversity. The um, I love the funky artists, the people. You know, this great melting pot that we have. But it is a tough city to live in for so many. Um, wages have been stagnant. Stagnant. Rent is is way high. Home ownership can be uh, out of reach for for many, for most right now. Uh, and we have uh, a terrible uh, homelessness issue. Folks, our neighbors who are unhoused uh, need to be taken care of and we need to act with urgency on that. Um, that's really top of mind for everybody who lives in this city and all over California. And you know, ultimately, uh, this is not just unique to California. It's a societal failing when we don't take care of those who are the most vulnerable and need our help the most. Um, so you know, that's top of mind for folks. I mean, we talked uh, earlier on in a conversation we had about the most underreported uh, and urgent issue we have right now, and that's the um, Armenian genocide happening in Artsakh right now. And when we talk about uh, this community, uh, AD 44, that I seek to serve, um, it is a uh, it is really an Armenian seat and. Uh, before redistricting happened, Adrian Nazarian was my assembly member. I was his delegate for a long time. You know, it's it's heartbreaking what is happening. It is um, egregious and disgusting that the media has not been uh, picking up on it and reporting it as much as it, as they should, uh, because that's the only way that we make change is when we get public sentiment and people power behind us and bring that awareness to uh, to what's happening. But you know, the the redistricting process. Uh, cut the city of of Glendale in half. I don't know, for your listeners, we had an independent uh, redistricting uh, process. And and, um, I think that that will diffuse or it it could diffuse the power of the Armenian community in this district. And they really need a voice in Sacramento and they really need that. Um, So so that's something that, that I am bringing to this race. I have a lot to learn. I'm not Armenian. I didn't grow up with that. I know that there's so much trauma. So many folks are are dealing um, with the immediate repercussions of, of well, what's happening, friends and family members who are at risk or have been killed or imprisoned right now. So my heart goes out to everyone, and I, I just want to be a partner and help in any way that I can with that. Thank you. 
I really appreciate that, especially the fact that you refer to it accurately, you refer to Artsakh accurately. Um, that's really important. And you have some really good points about redistricting and all of that, for sure. So let me ask you this. You know, I, I, homelessness has been sort of like the top topic, if you will, for so many races, city council, assembly, state senate, etc. Uh, mayor Bass, since, uh, you know, becoming mayor has had an aggressive planning campaign that she's uh, really carried out, continues to carry it out. Uh, how do you feel about uh, what she's doing, like the results so far? Yeah, um, you know, like everything, we want to see more results faster, and and you know, sadly, that's just not the way uh, our our, <laughs> our government is not set up to uh, to be super nimble. Um, but she has uh, really addressed it with the urgency uh, uh, that need, it needs to be addressed with, um, and I think she's doing a good job. Um, we are seeing folks get inside, get off the street. Um, we're seeing, uh, and, and in the legislature too, I'll say, you know, Mayor Bass is doing a good job, but we've just passed some legislation uh, that's going to make it easier to streamline, you know, building more affordable housing. Uh, and uh, and that's really key. Uh, protecting renters. We have a very uh, important ballot initiative coming up in, in this election as well uh, to protect renters. It's a multi-layered uh, issue, of course. Um, the the number one demographic of folks who are becoming homeless right now are senior citizens who are being priced out of their homes, uh, and then followed by single moms, uh, you know, with their kids. So when we think of homelessness, so often we think of someone who is, uh, you know, in severe mental distress on the streets, right? And certainly that's a, a big part of it. And we need more services for those folks too. But uh, fundamentally, we also have to protect renters. Uh, we have to build more affordable housing uh, and, and build it in a way that's equitable so that we're doing it in neighborhoods, that, you know, that have good access to transit and stuff like that too. So, uh, but that's a long way to say, I, I like what Mayor Bass is doing. I've, I've had the pleasure of working with her over the years in different capacities as an organizer, um, and she's addressing it like the emergency that it really is. The other thing I'll say that she's doing that I like too is when we talk about wraparound services uh, for those in in you know dealing with uh, uh, addiction and and mental distress, um, that as you know uh, that goes through Lasha, that goes through the county services. Uh, the city has a bunch of money from opioid settlements, and you know she has uh, been very creative and effective about streamlining that money to get it out there and make sure that we're using that um, and that folks don't have to jump through so many hoops to get the treatment and services that they need because we are just woefully underfunded when it comes to mental health and addiction treatment uh, in this state. And, and so I, I applaud her efforts there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we just need to keep talking about it so the stigma goes away about mm -hmm. uh, being homeless, about having uh, mental illness, etc. So if you're just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with candidate for California State Assembly, District 44, uh, Steve Pearson. So let me ask you this. As, as an assembly member, what would you do differently or what would you add to the current uh, efforts that are being made for, for combating homelessness, 
what do you think your capacity would be to to make some change at the state level? Yeah, that's a great question. When we talk about addiction and mental health, obviously that's personal to me. You know, I, as I said, I was very fortunate to get sober when I was 19. Opioids weren't around really when I was, you know, getting sober. Um, fentanyl wasn't around and uh, meth wasn't really even around. Uh, families are getting ripped apart by uh, by this right now. And the services just aren't there. The, the, the money's not there. And uh, and we're doing some creative things. I'm, I'm interested in the care courts, which is Ge- uh, Governor Newsom's uh, initiative to um, decriminalize those who are in mental distress and get them uh, the treatment and, and uh, that they need. Uh, we have a mental health worker shortage, not because we don't have people who want to do that work, but because we don't pay them enough. Simply, they can't afford to do that work. So when you ask me, what can we do on the state level, um, we can, you know, create more funding. We're the fourth largest economy in the world. You know, the money is there. A budget is a statement of our priorities, right, of, you know, of, of what we value. Um, so we can fight for more funding. Um, also, most of the treatment programs that we um, we have for folks are 30-day treatment programs, right? So you're taking them off the street. You're running them through a 30-day program. Uh, it's not nearly enough. Um, you know, uh, the fog is just starting to lift after 30 days. You're barely getting the, the drugs out of your system and you're not able to really treat the causes and conditions around, uh, around that. You know, you need at least a 90 day treatment program. Uh, otherwise you're just going to have this cycle of folks going in and out of the program and going, uh, back out onto the street again. Um, so that's something that we can advocate for as well. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with candidate for California State Assembly, District 44, uh, Steve Pearson. Tougher question now. I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, District Attorney uh, Gascon, mm-hmm. who, who sort of came in and, and he looked at so much dysfunction that have been happening in, in the DA's office and also law enforcement for decades. And so much from racial profiling, discrimination, to really people being behind bars for years and years and years for simple minor you know, offenses and such. So he did a big overhaul and, and changed a lot of things. As a result, there's always some casualties. There's some cons to the pros. Uh, you know, some I've talked to police officers, I've talked to firefighters who who feel like, you know, now it's like they're afraid to touch anything. You know, they're afraid to arrest people because, you know, of the ramifications. Uh, what do you or how do you feel about the changes that the district attorney George Gascon has made um, and just where we are now with that? Yeah, I don't think that's a tough question. I'm happy to talk about this. Um, uh, And I've talked to, you know, police officers and firefighters, too. um, And I think most good cops, you know, want there to be accountability, oversight and training within their department because they recognize that the uh, uh, egregious actions and, you know, I mean, Every time a young black man gets killed at the hand of police officers, then, uh, you know, it, it, it's devastating to the community. And um, their oath is to protect and serve our community. And uh, when they're creating damage in the community, then, um, you know, they're, they are breaking their oath. Um, 
So, um, so that accountability needs to be there. That transparency needs to be there. That training needs to be there. Uh, we need uh, resources uh, to help the police officers. So, you know, especially when we're intervening with, uh, you know, homeless folks and, uh, you know, folks in, in mental health distress, we need qualified individuals going along with them. Uh, I'd, I've been a fan of the idea of community policing for a long time, too, you know, where uh, police officers really uh, know uh, the community that they're in. So, um, you know, so they know when somebody is uh, is sick or not. And um, I've spoken with some officers about that, and, and they're not crazy about it, only that they don't want to be in a position where if they're living in the community where they're serving, then they're confronted with someone that they arrested and when they're with their kids or something like that, and, you know, and they don't feel safe in that in that situation. So, um so I, I honor that as well. Um, but, you know, the, the thing about um, uh, D.A. Garçon's approach is it's, it's not just, you know, based on being compassionate and it's not just deferring to uh, folks who are, have been threatened by police. It's actually, um, you know, very solidly based in data that makes our communities safer. So his first approach is making our communities safer, and um, and that's what I want to do too. And when we look at what really makes our communities safer, uh, it's certainly not over incarceration. It's investing in communities. It's um, you know bringing resources and addressing the the causes and conditions that create uh, criminality. So, so um, is it fair to say that you are you are with uh, Gascon's changes and initiatives? Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You you obviously know a lot about this because it's, uh, yeah. And I've just recently really re-educated myself with a lot of this. So it was ringing true when you were talking. But of course, there's changes, you know, uncomfortable for people. So, and, yeah, and there's, there are always some cons, as I said, and we the just best policies, yeah, the best, sorry to interrupt, but I, I you know, the best policies, the best legislation, can always have unintended consequences too, sure. and we and we try to be thoughtful and and look at all the ramifications of everything we do, especially when it creates you know a sea change, when it's a, a big change, of course, and and how we've operated in the past, um, and uh, and you just don't know what you don't know, right? And I think uh, what gets folks in trouble is when they paint any issue or any piece of legislation with too broad of a brush, right? Um, because one size does not fit all, and um, you know, so we need to be thoughtful about our approach. But you know, um, the reason I do support uh, DA Gascon and the work he's doing is uh, it's not willy nilly. It's based on copious research and work that he's done, and what we know makes our community safer. And that's that's where we should all be starting. Absolutely. So if you're just joining us, this is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK ninety point seven FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with a candidate for California State Assembly, District 44, uh, Steve Pearson. So let's go back to your uh, campaign. How is your campaign going? I mean, the, <laughs> the election is in March. Right around the corner. Yeah. If that seems far away for folks, it's not. You know, we have the holidays coming up and then the, the primary. And um 
you know, this is the first time I've run for office before. As I said, I've just been looking at where can I be of service and no better place than my home where I've lived for 30 years. Um, the campaign is going great. We are the top fundraiser in the race. We have double the individual contributions of any other candidate in this race. Um, and that's really humbling and affirming. Um, a lot of that support has come from, uh, you know, the entertainment industry, frankly, folks who know that we need that voice, you know, and, and that lived experience up in Sacramento. And, um, and then a lot of that uh, support has come from grassroots leaders and activists who I've been working with since Trump was elected uh, to, you know, build our political power, to elect good Democrats and to push back against hate uh, everywhere that we see it. Um, and that's been really affirming. We've been endorsed by Senator Barbara Boxer. We've been endorsed by the great Dolores Huerta. She was the first person who endorsed our campaign, nice. uh, which was, yeah, I mean, I literally dropped to my knees. She, we love her she, at KPFK. Oh my God, she's amazing. I was actually like 95% sure I was going to run. We hadn't announced yet. And, uh, you know, my wife and I had talked a lot about it. And I had this call set up with her and uh, and I said, I'm, I'm running for assembly. I'd like your, and she cut me off and said, yes, Steve, absolutely, I endorse you. We need more organizers like you in Sacramento. Nice. And I was just dumbstruck. I didn't know what to say. I mean, this is, you know, civil rights labor icon, Dolores Huerta. And I called up my wife and I said, we're doing this. We can't let Dolores down. So Steve, um, is there a question that I missed that I should have asked? Well, I, I will add for your listeners my website if people want to check it out. It's uh, PearsonForCalifornia.com. That's P-I-E-R-S-O-N-F-O-R-C-A.com. And uh, like I said, this is a grassroots campaign. All of my contributions have come from individuals. And uh, if you uh, want to make a contribution, that would help us out a lot. It costs a lot to reach voters and uh, every little bit helps. You know, I would love for you to check out some more and uh, and even sign up to volunteer. Like, let's I would love to meet you. And let's uh, we've got some fun events happening uh, all over the district. And I hope you'll join us at one of those. Steve, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me on, Vic. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial free news, opinion and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.